hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is God's word. Thanks, Rachel, and good morning to all of you. You know, there are a lot of great reasons for coming to church, for coming to worship. Uh, I can think of just, just a few bad reasons, but there are tons of great reasons for coming to church, and I suspect that most of those are represented here, here today. And so, for example, perhaps some of you come to worship honestly because you, you love God, and you cannot imagine not gathering with other people and expressing that love through worship. Perhaps others of you come out of habit, and that's a good thing. They're bad habits. They're also good habits like flossing your teeth, right? Whether you feel like it or not, you just floss your teeth every night. Some of you, you don't get up on Sunday morning and say, you know, I don't know, what am I going to do today? Am I going to go play Frisbee or am I, I going to go to church? You just go to church. That's your habit, and that's a good thing. Uh, perhaps some of you are curious. You, you've always wondered, why do people go to church? <laughs> why would they run a, an otherwise perfectly good Sunday morning and go drive to a building and sit in rows and sing and listen to a lecture? Seriously, why would people do that? You know, a couple years ago, I had a, uh, well, I was about, about four years ago now, I was talking to a guy, he was a senior at K-State, and he had start, started coming to the church. And uh, he told me that he started coming to church because uh, he was working down at Kites, and he, had, he was very interested in a young lady who also worked there. And she basically told him, you don't even have a chance with me unless you are a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And she said, well, what, what does that mean? So she, go, she went to church here. So he started coming to church, just independent of her, just showed up. And he became a follower of Christ. And they're married now. It's just an amazing. So I do have to say, if you've... If you've come here today for that reason, um, we cannot guarantee anything about what will happen. That's a great reason to come to church. Maybe you're curious. Maybe some of you are absolutely desperate. You are desperate. You're heartbroken. Um, You're experiencing some type of crippling guilt, shame. Maybe you're in some type of bondage. Maybe you're just, just lost in all the ways that really matter. And you've come because you need to know that God hears, that God heals, that God gives freedom, that God actually cares about you. Maybe, maybe that's why you're here today. And so we're here, okay? We, we have gathered. Now the question becomes, what are we going to do now that we're actually here? What do we do now? 
Well, Psalm 95 answers that question. Uh, that's the main thing that it talks about. It does tell us to come three times. You may have noticed as Rachel read three times, the psalmist says, come, let's gather, come worship. But then the psalmist talks about what we actually do after we gather. We sing. We don't just listen to other people sing. We sing. We give thanks. We don't just listen to other people pray and give. We give thanks. We bow down and worship. We hear the voice of God, and we don't harden our hearts. We respond. We become soft-hearted toward God. And so that's the, the emphasis of Psalm 95, and so that will be the emphasis of this message today. Today marks the second week of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we're looking at four different psalms which teach us how to experience God when life is hard. And this is a relevant question, this irrelevant topic, because life is almost always hard in some ways. We saw last week from Psalm 90, since life is hard and life is short, number your days and seek wisdom. Life is short and hard, you have to seek wisdom. Today we're going to see from Psalm 95, uh, since life is hard, worship God, worship the Lord. You can still experience God, and one of the primary ways we do that is by worshiping. The psalmist urges us to come together and then actually worship. Instead of being passive, instead of of being hard-hearted, we worship. And in that context, we're also going to see a warning, a very strong warning at the end of this this psalm. First of all, in verses 1 through 7, come and worship the Lord. Notice in verse 1, the psalmist urges us to do some very specific things. <clears throat> o come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. You may know that Hebrew, par- Hebrew parallelism is often the case where the second line either restates or uh, emphasizes or clarifies or fills out the first line. Sometimes it's a contrast, but here we see the idea is that when you sing, you're also, what that means is making a joyful noise. And so our singing is supposed to be joyful. It's supposed to be an expression of delight in who God is and in his ways. And it's supposed to be a joyful noise, not in the sense that it's cacophonous, but in the sense that it's loud, it's, it's exuberant. And you might be wondering, but, but what if you're not feeling it? How can you make a joyful noise if you're not feeling it? Or what if you're not a very expressive person? Well, well, that's a valid question, and um, you should worship in a way that fits you. I always encourage people, be as, expression, ex- as expressive as you can be without faking it. There's no, no need to fake it. But at the same time, uh, the issue is not what you feel. The issue is not your temperament. The issue here is the worthiness of the one that we've come to worship. And so we are to sing, we are to pray, we are to, to make a joyful noise because he is the rock of our salvation. When it comes to the most important thing that matters in any of our lives, namely our salvation, he is our rock. And in the Bible, a rock, is, is rock represents stability, it represents, it represents protection. There was one time when God slipped Moses into the cleft of the rock, you know, so he wouldn't be burned up as God went by. And so 
We worship God because he is the rock of our salvation. If you take refuge in Jesus Christ, you're in the safest place in the universe. And that is worth praising God for. Verse 2, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. The only reason that sinful human beings can come into the presence of God is because he makes a way. In the old covenant, he made a way through the, the sacrificial system. In the new covenant in Christ's blood, he has made a way because the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for everyone who will, will believe in him, everyone who will receive it. Uh, because of his death and resurrection, uh, we can enter right into the very presence. We are just as righteous as Jesus himself. We are just as alive to God as Jesus himself. And so he says, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. We can always do that, always, even when our lives are hard, because there are always things that are worthy of giving thanks. If we think, if we notice, there are always things for which we can give thanks, if not in our lives, in the lives of other people. And we are severely limiting ourselves if we only thank God for the things that we experience. And then he says, make a joyful noise unto him with songs of praise. And we can always come with songs of praise because God is always praiseworthy. And so one of the, the values of actually uh, of coming to church and then actually worshiping, whether you feel like it or not, whether it's convenient or not, one of the great benefits is that the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray and the scriptures that we read and discuss, they take us out of our small, petty ways of thinking, often self-centered ways of thinking, uh, sometimes toxic ways of thinking, and they remind us of this vast universe, this vast expanses of the kingdom of God. They remind us of things that we might have forgotten. Sometimes we learn something, things new, but we're able to give voice to things that we would never do if we were left to our own devices. That first song we sang, uh, before our hearts forget your goodness, satisfy us with your love. I would not have thought to say that to God without that song today. In verse 3, we see that the greatness of God is why we should, should come uh, and worship him, even when our lives are hard. And here we start a series of things for which we can thank God. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. See that word gods there, uh, plural, gods, that's the word Elohim. It's a very common word in the Old Testament. Uh, it's used uh, to, to denote any spiritual being, okay? And so any being without a body is an Elohim. And so uh, the creator, the, the God of Israel, over 2,000 times he's called Elohim. Uh, he also created other Elohim. Sometimes they're called the sons of God. You see that in Genesis 6 and Job 1. Sometimes they're called angels. Those that have rebelled against God, they're called demons. And so there are these other gods, small g. But there is one created, creator God who is unique among all. And whereas Yahweh is the creator and possessor of the entire world and everything it contains, he chose this one people, these descendants of Abraham, to be his people, 
They're his people. He is their God. Not because they were more virtuous or more powerful than anybody else. He chose to set his love upon them so that they might be a light to the nations, so that they might show the nations. This is what it's like when you come into a relationship with the king of kings and the God of all over all gods. Uh, they failed miserably in that, but that was their calling. And then the other nations, they had their gods, small g. If you've been, re- if you've been reading Exodus as part of our, our 21 days experience, you probably notice that there is this conflict. It's narrated throughout that it's a, it's a, a conflict between the God of Israel and the gods of Egypt. And you even read in, Gen- in uh, Exodus 12, 12, that when God delivered the people during the, during the Passover, one of the things God says he was doing is judging the gods of Egypt. He is a great king above the gods of Egypt. The same thing is true when they were in exile in Babylon. Uh, think about Daniel in the lion's den. Think about the three young men that were thrown in the fiery furnace. That was the God of Israel showing that he is more powerful than the gods of Babylon. He is a great king over the gods of Babylon. And in our day, this is relevant, he is still the great king over all gods. We have an enemy of our souls, Satan. He has his minions, uh, these, these demonic beings. They want to thwart what God is doing. They want to minimize his glory. They want to keep us from pleasing God and glorifying God. But these lesser gods, they're not worthy to be considered in light of the great God, the King above all gods, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verses 4 and 5 remind us that we can and should worship God because he is the creator and possessor of the entire world. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. And so God created and therefore possesses everything from the highest of the mountains to the lowest depth of the sea. I often hear people say that they experience God very freely when they're out in creation. And that's as it should be because the heavens are declaring the glory of God. If you notice, creation declares the power of God, the majesty of God, the the permanence of God. And so when we gather for worship, again, the creator and, creator and possessor of the entire world should, should be worshipped. You may have noticed in verse 6 that the tone of Psalm 95 changes. Uh, in addition to loud, joyful, exuberant worship, here we read that the psalmist urges us to humble, reverent submission. He says, O come, Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I don't know if you've ever bowed down or kneeled before another person, but if you did did that, what would you be saying? You would be saying to that person, you are my superior. I submit to you. Uh, Whatever you say, that's, that's what I will do. So the idea here is that we would come and we would bow down before God and say, God, I submit to you. You are my superior in every way. You are my Lord. I humbly submit to your will, to your word. And here of faith, as you know, we're not really set up 
to kneel. We're not set up for all of us to fall face down on the floor. But I would actually encourage you when you, you have at least some time, when you have private times of worship, let your physical posture mirror the posture of your heart. If you're submitting to God, if you're physically able, bow down or face on the floor, lie prostrate before God. Submit to him. Let your body mirror your heart. Then in verse 7, the psalmist gives another reason uh, to, to bow down. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his land. And so there he invokes the imagery of sheep. We're sheep, therefore God is the shepherd. And so we should, should bow down and worship him because he is a good shepherd. If you were with us last week, I mentioned that this block of Psalms, book four of the Psalms, was composed uh, to really encourage the exiles in Babylon. And so they, they'd experienced this catastrophic loss. They were without their land. The, the, the temple had been destroyed. They had no king of their own. And so they were 900 miles away from home, but still they needed to know that God was their good shepherd. He had not abandoned them. He was, not, uh, he, he was attentive to their needs. He was still worthy of their worship. And when we experience heartache and loss, you might be going through something very catastrophic yourself right now, some deep grief, some deep pain, something that's not trivial in any sense. And you might be wondering, is God really good? Does God really notice? Is God really for me? Is he really a good shepherd? Well, when life is hard, it's all the more important that we worship and we confess what we know to be true. Deeper than our circumstances, God is always good. If you put your faith in Jesus, he is your good shepherd. He knows you by, vo- by name. You will hear his voice. Worship him. I love what Philip Yancey said years and years ago. He said, just because life is not fair doesn't mean God is not fair. Do not confuse God and life. One of the things that keeps us from being confused is worship. When life's hard and we're just so much pain and we wonder all this about God, we come back into worship and we get clear about who God is and about about his care for us. And that is why I think this psalm about worship ends with this this kind of fierce warning beginning at the end of verse 7. And here's the warning. It's a warning for worshipers. It's a warning for us. It's a warning for me and for you. Do not harden your hearts. And the author makes reference to a specific incident that Moses and the children of Israel experienced when they were in the wilderness on the way from Egypt to the promised land. Uh, Even though God had delivered them from Egypt, he had already provided them water uh, once when they were in the desert. He had already provided manna and quail. They accused God of being anything but a good shepherd. Beginning with the last line of verse 7, we read, Today, if you hear his voice, and by the way, that's what we want in worship. We don't want you to just hear a sermon. We don't want you to just hear prayers. We don't want you to just hear words of a song. We want you to hear God's voice. He speaks primarily through the word, but God has his ways. He can speak. So today, If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts 
implying we have a degree of control over the condition of our hearts, whether they're hard or soft toward God. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. And so the children of Israel, they had heard the voice of God. God had told them in no uncertain terms, I'm going to deliver you from slavery in Egypt, and I am going to take you to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. In other words, it is more abundant, it's more lush, it provides your, your needs better than anything you can imagine. And they had heard that. It, they had heard the voice of God very clearly. But in Exodus 17, you'll read it on Wednesday if you're, you're following the reading plan, we read that instead of trusting in God, instead of believing that he would supply, this is Exodus 17:2. therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses, he had heard this before. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? And then in verse 3, the people's accusations escalate further. But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so they'd already done this a couple of times in the past, but they accused Moses, and ultimately they accused God. God, you're not our good shepherd. You've actually, you've actually lured us out into the desert so that we will die of thirst. And they said, God, you are negligent at best. You are evil at worst. And the, the, the uh, um, conclusion that the psalmist makes, he said they had hardened their hearts. If you've been reading Exodus, that's like a bolt out of the blue, right? Who is it that hardened his heart? It says it over and over and over again. Pharaoh hardened his heart. He heard the word of God. He hardened his heart. And finally, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so the point here is the children of Israel who had God as their shepherd they were no better than Pharaoh. They were no more receptive, soft-hearted to the Word of God than Pharaoh was. And so in verses 10 and 11, this is a statement on God's lips 40 years later. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath. We saw that in Psalm 90 over and over again. I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so they had seen the works of God. They saw the 10 plagues in, in, in Egypt. They saw the Red Sea parted, right? They had seen his works, but they didn't know his works. They did not know God. They didn't get who he was and what he was doing in their lives. As a consequence, they were not allowed to enter the promised land. When you get the chance, read Hebrews 3 and 4. The author there refers back to this psalm. He quotes it like four or five times. And he warns against being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, which leads to unbelief. And the message that the, the Hebrews had heard, the, the voice of God they had heard, was the gospel. And he's warning them, don't harden your heart to the gospel. Don't turn back from the gospel, because if you do... You won't enter the ultimate rest of God. You won't enter the salvation that God provides in Jesus. 
that begins now and it just keeps getting better and better and better for all of eternity. And so the warning I bring to you, the warning I, I bring to myself is today. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't think of all the tough things you're going through, all the disappointments you've experienced, all the things that trouble you, the this, this, this significant things, the hardship in your life, and don't conclude that God is not for you in Christ. Don't conclude that he, he has overlooked you, that he doesn't notice you. Don't conclude that he's a bad shepherd. And you know the antidote to a hardened heart? Worship. The antidote to a hardened heart is worship, the kind of worship that the psalmist has been urging. Coming together as the body of Christ, whether you feel like it or not, whether it's convenient or not, come together and then worship. Actually worship him. Worship, worship will keep your heart soft toward God. Sing songs, joyful, exuberant songs of praise. Come with thanksgiving. Bow down, submit your heart to God himself and hear his word and respond. He's still our dwelling place. He is still the rock of our salvation. If you're in Jesus Christ, you're in the safest place in the universe. Don't harden your heart against him. A couple years ago, uh, Brian was preaching, and so I, I just came to church as a civilian, okay? I came as a worshiper, and I was sitting right over there, and as Brenda and I stood up and we began worshiping, I saw two other families that were in front of us worshiping, and I had talked to each of them recently, and I knew that they were going through some tough things, some, some heartbreak, some tragic things in their lives. And yet, as we started that worship, I noticed them raising their hearts and raising their hands and worshiping God from the heart, like Job did when he found out that all his wealth was gone, that his servants had been killed, that his 10 children had died in a quote-unquote accident. You remember what Job did? He got up, he tore his clothes, and he fell to the ground, and he worshiped God. He didn't harden his heart. And when I saw these families worshiping God from the heart, like that, they know that God is worthy. And they were singing to me psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that encouraged me to worship God as well. And so today... If you hear God's voice, especially if you're going through something hard, if ex especially if you're experiencing great disappointment in your life, do not harden your heart. Worship God. He is worthy. He is the rock of our salvation. And so, God, we pray that now you would free us to worship you. God, you are worthy. God, I pray for those here today who are going through some hard things who are experiencing great loss, uh, maybe a tragic loss. I pray, God, that you would give us the grace to not harden our hearts, but to stay soft toward you, for you are worthy. God, allow these, these hymns and songs we're going to sing to give voice 
to the deepest longing of our heart, which is to give you the praise that you deserve. And so empower us now to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.